I really sense tonight that God has got someone's number here. And, uh, and so I'm trusting God to give me grace tonight to preach on the beatitude which I have been most humbled by. <laughs> I wish someone else was doing it tonight. Not because it's, don't worry, I'm not going to hit you with something, uh, hopefully, um, like the first beatitude. But how many of us really understand our own hearts here? Anybody? Anybody can really understand what they like deep down inside? No. Anybody here seen God? Anybody face to face with God? If you have, come pray for me. I'd love to have that same anointing in my life. But can I say to you tonight, what we're going to look at is blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I'll say it again. Listen to the implications. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Anyone want to see God here tonight? Yeah, definitely. And it's my third try tonight, and I still don't know if I've quite got it. But I'm going to give it my best shot. And church, I want to remind you what we're busy with here. Don't be intimidated. Or I should say, don't be alarmed when you hear what you hear tonight. Because you know why? God's after your heart. And everything we are doing here in this beatitude, in these beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, it is contending for our love, where our hearts are. And whenever you deal with the heart, I tell you, it is the most uncomfortable thing. It is the area in our lives that we don't want anybody to touch, right? We don't want anyone to come in. Oh, don't touch my heart. Some of us are so aware. I remember what it's like dating my wife, Marina. So afraid to let her into my heart. Check her out. Can I? She, well, she gave me a six-week probation period. How was that? She wouldn't even say yes until I had proven myself worthy of just the yes for the dating. When we come to the heart, I'm grateful she did, eh? <laughs> but I tell you guys, forget about how well your prayer life has been this week. Forget about how many scriptures you read or didn't read. Those are important. What you have to be concerned about is where is your heart with the Lord? Because if your heart is right, the engine of your life is going to propel you into the things of God. And tonight I'm going to give you an expose of why God can't work from the outside in. He has to work from the inside out. And you've been hearing me say over and over again, what is it that Christ is asking of us? He's asking for our love. Man. He's asking for our affection, for our devotion. And we've been talking about this love in three dimensions, loving up. What does it mean to love up? It means to make Christ the passion and pursuit of your life. It's to give Him your heart. It is following Him with all your heart, as we're going to see tonight. And what does it mean to love in? We've been saying it means that when Christ wins your heart, the things that are precious to Him are precious to you. 
Can I say tonight, here in this room are your brothers and sisters, and they are precious to Jesus. A person who understands what's on the heart of God is somebody who loves in. And the greatest of these love is someone who loves out. What that means is, it means when you realize the love of God for you. You know how God loved you? It was as an outsider. When God saw me and you, we were not born pretty. We were not born in the kingdom. Is He came after us. He had a love for the outsider. And a Christian by nature was an outsider. And God's love found us. He brought us in. He rescued us. And the heart of his church must be the same. And when we start to experience what it means to have our hearts fully devoted to God, not only do we love him, but we start to love those that resemble what we were like. Lost. Cut off from God. And we move towards them. And this is how you know you are moving forward. Is if you can see this love in three dimensions. Working in your life. And we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, let's read it together from Matthew 5 verse 1. Seeing the crowds, Jesus said, He went up on the mountain, and when He sat down, His disciples came to Him. And here are these amazing words. He opened His mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And here we are tonight. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And we said that these Beatitudes, they are a description of what somebody who loves Jesus with all their heart looks like. What is how God gets us to this place tonight of having a pure heart before Him. And please, I want you to remember, none of these are instantaneous, right? So if you can see this in your life, you go, Oh, I don't quite know if I see this in my life. It's okay. Be willing to walk the journey. And we said the journey starts with the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's when God comes to you and shows you and me what we really like inside. And He says, Hey, but hey, sister. This is not impressive. This is not something in you that you can bargain with God. When God shows you what you like, you realize you are desperately poor before Him. You are totally dependent on Him. And when you see what you like, the second one starts, is you start to mourn. You start to say, when the moment you say, God, when He shows you what you like, and you say, that's me, let me tell you, because it's not pretty, you're not going, yay, this looks wonderful. <laughs> You're going, oh, oh dear. And because God's showing what you look like in yourself by the Spirit, He's also opening your eyes up to the world. This is so important. Guys, when you start journeying with Jesus, you start realizing how God sees things. And this world that you thought was so promising, that degree, that doctor that was going to promise you that great promotion, that award for whatever talents you might have, that thing which you think was your so that other partner, the life partner, even if they put you on six weeks of probation, you still believe that somehow you're going to find life in them. When you start to mourn, you start to realize this world can offer you nothing what you're looking for. And it can be devastating. Can I say that? Without Christ, it will drive you to drugs, it will drive you to drink, 
will drive you to antidepressants. When you start to realize you cannot find life, it's just hopelessness. And the third thing that happens in the Christian, praise God, is this mourning leads to meekness. And what does it mean to be meek? We don't hear that word at all, really, these days. It is when your life is no longer about yourself. Because you realize when you live for yourself, it's a mess. <laughs> this old self, this sinful nature, the Bible calls it. You have to continue dying to it. That's what mourning is, attending your funeral. And meekness is when you are no longer preoccupied with self. Because you know it's got nothing to offer you. And so when I come along, when someone comes along and says, this is what you really like, or they bring correction or criticism, there's no defensiveness. What's there to defend? You know what you like. There's no sensitivity. There's no aggression. There's no pushback. Because you realize, what's there to defend? What you really become interested in, and you'll take it however it comes, is not how this plays out for me. Is how is my life playing out for God? That's meekness is an emptying of yourself and a filling with a hunger and thirst for righteousness, beatitude number four. Righteousness is in your life, you hunger to be right with him in every single aspect. And hunger and thirsting for righteousness, if that's you tonight, if you can say, Matt, sorry buddy, that's really annoying. Okay, you might not realize it, but I can't actually concentrate. If you can see this appetite in you, Focus on me. It's fine. It's done. If you can see this appetite in you for God, you're in a good space. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, and the way you know you are wanting to be right with God is the moment God calls you to forgive somebody. Let me tell you, it happens more often than we think. It's when the moment Christ calls us to be merciful. To live in this world is to experience pain. And it says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. What is he saying? Jesus is saying is, if you want to test, if you really want to please me, you have to become like me. And you know what God is like? He's merciful. And you have to let that person off the hook in your heart. And that's where I come to you in Beatitude number six. How do you know? You've been merciful to somebody. How do you know you've really let them off the hook? How do you know you've truly, totally forgiven them? It is when you have a pure heart. It is when in your heart there is no longer this anger. You don't want to strangle them. You don't want to take a knife and stab them in your mind or, or, or kill them in your mirror. You know, when you have these conversations in your mind and you, you want to just prove who's right. It's when you start to say, Lord, I release them. And not only do you release them, do you know what you do? You know when you've been merciful? It's when you can pray for them as though you were praying for yourself. And mean it. It's when you come before God and you can see You've asked yourself the question, 
if I was in their shoes, what would I be praying for? You start praying like that. And you say, God, you need to bless them. God, you need to show them where they're going. You need to bring them back. If I was in their position, I want you, would have wanted you to bless me. I want you to encourage me. I want you to show me what I need to do. Show me your wisdom. Whatever I would need in that situation, I'm praying for them. If you can do that, my friend, you have entered into the big league. You're in line to see God move in your life. And tonight, you cannot be merciful to anybody if your heart is hard. It is only a heart that is pure, soft, tender, loving, warm, that can show mercy. And that's what I want to focus on tonight, is this thing of the heart. Do you notice Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those with the brilliant head or the mind. Isn't it interesting? It doesn't say, blessed are those who are capable, who have great, strong hands, who can do so much and do it so well. He focuses in where the problem is. It's the heart. And this is what makes the Christian faith different to any other philosophy or any other creed that this world has to offer. You see, all these other religions, and I'm happy if you know of anyone that's not like this, come talk to me afterwards, but I cannot think of a single one. We'll say the problem that we need to do to fix our lives, because we've got problems, right? Human beings have got problems. And we're looking for answers. And the world says, well, the way you fix yourself is you've got to change the way or what you do with your hands. You've got to fix your behavior. You've got to do these, 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 these things. And you see it in the bookstores all the time, the seven steps to the successful leader, not so? Or the 12 steps to becoming the better you. You've got to focus on these behavior patterns. You've got to do these certain things. And if you do that, you'll sort out your problem. You've got to focus on the hands. And religion is no different. If you want to see God, religions will say, then you've got to change your behavior. Because when you behave well, ah, God will show you favor and blessing. Christian gospel says, no, it's not the hands that are the problem. Or the other thing that... The world will focus on is the head. Not so. How many of you? I've been to Hogsback two weeks ago. Every time I go, it's such a fresh reminder of how differently people think to me. Some of you have been there, you know. <laughs> you walk at the edge and you see the crystal gallery, the chakra, the meditation. I tell you, it was so good for me. The other thing is, they'll say, but they're not focusing on the hands, they'll say, focus on the mind, meditation. Um, focus the mind. Or like Scientology, educate the mind. If you can educate the mind, or if you can enlighten the mind, or if you can focus the mind, you'll solve the problem. Not so. Positive thinking. How many of you heard of that? You just got to be positive thinking. Positive thinking all the time. I ask you, is that where the Christian gospel focuses? No. And I feel so sorry. Do yourself a favor. I don't, my wife thinks I'm a bit weird. But watch the Prime Minister's questions that come out once a week on YouTube. And Theresa May stands up. And she gets flack because the government in the UK is expected to do everything, right? They're expected to be God. They're expected to make sure that the hands have everything they need in the UK. The environment is perfect. And the philosophy is, if you put somebody in the right environment, they'll change. Can I say to you tonight what Martin Lloyd-Jones challenged me on? For the Christian, where did the fall happen? In the Garden of 
Eden. Could you get a better environment than that? No. Or how about this? They say we have to educate. And like none of these things are wrong, guys. But, but when you put your hope in education as being the thing that's going to fix the world, don't you think it's fascinating that in this age of information, is the world any safer? Is it any better? Do you see man improving his condition? No? You know what the tragic irony for me in the United States is at the moment? Is in the very temple of what they put their hope in, the very space, education, the school, a guy can walk in with an automatic rifle and pummel, kill 17 kids. No political ideology. They're not standing up saying ISIS or Taliban. It's just the darkness of this guy's heart being unleashed in the wealthiest society, the most beautiful environment, the most educated space you can possibly be in. School, you can walk in with a gun and kill 17 people. It's sick. Our hearts deep inside of us are dark. I challenge you tonight, if you have the courage to agree with me, you know what you like deep down inside. The cruelty the anger, the emotion you can feel inside your heart scares even you. And I say to you tonight, that's where the problem is. And Jeremiah puts it like this. If you want to do an insight study into the heart, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And all of our problems, guys, comes from these deep appetites inside of us that are desperate to be satisfied and it drives us to do stupid things. Not so? It's the heart. You can have a doctor of philosophy, I won't say his name, but have failed marriages. Is that ironic? Desperately unhappy in relationship, yet so knowledgeable. What is the heart? Well, the most I can get to you, it is you in your innermost being. It is your personality. And if you can stay with me tonight, I'm going to see how why this is helpful. I'll show you why it's helpful. And your personality consists of three things. If you can understand this, then you have passed. <laughs> it is first and foremost your mind. What you think and are persuaded by deep down inside of you at your core. It is your emotions, what you feel deeply in your heart. And the third is your will. It's what you are driven by, your desires, your passions, your inner engine. And we say it, we say it in English like this. We, we give a guy a task and he doesn't really do it. And you ask him, well, why don't you do this? I've asked what I've asked you to do. And the guy says, well, my heart's not really in it. Not so? We say that. There's no will. Because the heart's not in it. Or we, when we see someone serving, like I see so many of you on a Sunday, and you're giving it stick, you're going for it, you say, man, they're in it heart and soul. No, so that's what you say. Heart's engaged. Your will's pumping. You want to do this. Have you ever tried to persuade somebody to not go for something that they've set their heart on? When you are persuaded, your mind is not just your intellect. Here in your heart, what you believe, what you are convinced by, good luck 
Parents, you see it all the time, not so? This kid can see what they want. They are going this direction or the person they want to date or the thing they want to do. And you say, this is not a good idea. They are persuaded in their heart what they believe at their inner core to try and change that. Good luck. You know that your friends, right? You see your friends going down a certain path. The heart is at the core of your being where you feel deeply, where you desire deeply, and where you believe deeply. It's who you are, the real you. Now tonight we all look nice, right? We say the right things, we do the right things, because we want to be presentable to the world. Your heart is when you take away the real you, all of these things that everybody thinks you are. And deep down inside, they can't see. That's the heart. You with me? Now, why is it important? Why do I make so much of that? Is how does the Christian gospel, the good news, be different to all the other things that this world offers. The Christian gospel says, if we're going to sort out the man or the woman, we have to sort out the heart because deep down inside, these desires have to be changed. This orientation inside of us at our very core has to be made new before we can have anything to do with God. And how do we get there? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 to 10. It's a famous verse, but I want to use it tonight. It says, how do you become a Christian? What has to happen in you? And I hope this is interesting to you because remember, what I'm talking about is going to determine what happens when you see God. And this is how it works. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, there's a public stand. This is how you become a Christian. There's a public stand where you say, yes, I believe. But also there's something else that happens inside and believe in your heart. That God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Something has to happen, not just here where you put your hands up and say, Jesus is great, Jesus is awesome. Something has to happen in your hearts. That is the seed of faith. What is Paul talking about? He says, with your heart, the very next verse, you believe and are justified. That's the kicker. If your heart's not in it, you're not saved. What he means is this. How do you know or become? How do you know you're a Christian or how do you become a Christian? It is when you hear that Jesus Christ came down as the Son of God, lived a life you could not live, died a death you were supposed to die, and rose again. There it is. He was risen from the dead so that those who look to him can share in his resurrection. If in your heart of hearts you know this to be true, you say, yes, I believe, I'm persuaded, I'm convinced in my heart, you're saved. You're saved. One amen. Come on, can I have another amen? <laughs> Why is that important? Because let me tell you, if you look to your hands, you'll be so discouraged to know whether you're saved. I met that girl Andrea spoke about this morning. The 10 did not go well for me as a sermon. And there at the end of it, God's met her. She's weeping because she's met Jesus. And I say to her, I cannot remember what I was going to say. <laughs> it's gone. 
well, let's come back to where I was. Oh, yes. I said to her, when you leave this place, you are going to be so discouraged by your hands. Because, yeah, you've met this amazing Savior, but you're still in the same body. You've got the same mind and habits. And this is why the Beatitudes have to come. They have to change you slowly. But so, I tell you, this was the moment of freedom for me when I learned. I don't look at my hands to know whether I'm saved. My performance, my behavior gives me no hope. And I said to her, when you leave here this morning, you're going to go and Satan's going to come. And he's going to, you can't look to your mind to help you that you're saved. He's going to sow doubt after doubt after doubt. Do you know why Paul says there has to be a public confession? If you confess with your mouth. Because I said to her, when you go out and you tell the next person that you see that you're saved, you know something real has happened. But even in your mind, some of you here tonight are doubting. Man, when I put my hand up at youth, am I really saved? Because I've got into some stuff and I'm not too sure whether I'm still right with Jesus. And that is the story of the Christian, not so. How do you know you're saved? It's in your heart. No matter how bad the discouragement is from your hand or how much the doubt is flowing in your mind, in your heart you're persuaded that the gospel is real. That's the backslider. Is somebody who's on the run from God. Why? Because in their heart they know what they believe, it's real, it's real. And people can come with arguments, they can come with something. In your heart you know that Jesus Christ died for you, that He's risen, that He's for you, that you're His, that all this gospel that it's talked about, it's true. If that is you tonight, my friend, you are saved. You are born again. And you know what this means for you? This means you just come back to what God has already done. In Acts chapter 15, verse 9, you know what the preciousness of this gospel is. You know why it's good news? It's good news because finally God understands me and I can understand myself. And this brings me hope is that in this moment of salvation, God cleanses me. Acts chapter 15, verse 9. He takes my heart and he washes it by the Spirit. And you know what he does? It is the most glorious thing. He takes a heart that only lived for itself. Everything it felt was about me. Everything it thought was about me. Everything it desired, it was motivated for, was for me. He cleanses that and he says, now, I'm changing your entire orientation. I'm putting in your heart after me. And purity of heart, guys, tonight, is simply guarding with your life. What God has already done in you by the Spirit. It is being so aware that the most important thing in your life, it's not your performance, there's a place for that, it's good. It's not even the grasp of how clearly you understand everything in this world. There's a space for that. Doctrine's very important. But it's keeping your heart in a space for God only. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 said this. It says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. See? And if you really want to start being like Jesus, it's what the Bible calls holy. 
And all of what we are going to unpack in the Sermon on the Mount, it is this place, this space, this teaching of God saying, keeping your heart right with me. There's this amazing verse in Scripture. It says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Who wants to enter into the presence of God? Who wants to see God? It's he who has clean hands. Your behavior does matter, but oh, don't forget, don't detach your behavior from a pure heart. It is he who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false. If you do that, you're in line to see God. Wow. This purity of heart, it means in your heart it's not divided. You know what a Christian is? It's the person who thinks the most clearly in this life. When someone comes to you, a Christian is somebody who says, so what do you think the meaning of this life is? I know. My life is for God. It's to pursue Him. It is this understanding. It is the working of all the Beatitudes to this point. It has persuaded you. There is one thing you live for. One thing your heart beats for. One thing your heart desires. One thing your heart thinks about. One thing your heart is motivated for. It is to live for God. It is to have this undivided affection for God. It's not being double-minded like James 1 verse 8, being unstable in all your ways. You know which camp you're in. You know what you're after. doesn't matter the circumstance, you know. doesn't matter the condition, you know that this is what I'm after. It's God. And it is total honesty and integrity. You know what the amazing thing about having a pure heart is? Is the real world gets to see the real you. I can only say it like Michael Eaton says it. It's the absence of freedom from pretense, from posturing or disguising or spiritual camouflage. And you know what purity of heart is? Here it is. He says, it is when you are happy to let every aspect of your life become visible on the judgment day and a lot of it visible now. It's if somebody rolls away the curtain of your heart, what they see on the inside is the same as what they see on the outside. Single-minded devotion to Jesus. Amazing. Amazing. It's this absence of bitterness. We said it last week, so I won't dwell on it. It is guarding, Romans chapter 14, verse 17. You know what? It is to guard your heart. It is to guard righteousness. In other words, having a clear conscience before God. Whatever He says to you, you walk in. It is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Guarding that. Well, if you will guard this heart of yours for the Lord. Every time it gets unsettled, you quieten it. You get it right before God. Every time there's this passion, you want, to, you want to have some sort of thing that's running away from God. You just quiet. You fix it on Jesus. You guard it. You keep it. You nurture it. You nourish it. Can I tell you what happened to me this week? This week was really difficult for me. And when I was coming to prepare this sermon, my heart was not in a good place. And I felt God say to me, Matthew, this is the most important thing. Is you have to talk to that heart of yours. You have to remind it. You have to shepherd it. You have to get it into a place where it is looking to Jesus. It's quiet in the Lord. It's beating for Him. And in my state, 
of what I was feeling, seeing that I recovered. And if you're willing to keep your heart pure, let me tell you, you will see God. What does that mean? Does it mean tonight that you're going to make it to heaven? And, and, and I know a lot of people are worried about this. You should be. I should be. Does it mean that you're going to see God when you die? I hope you think about dying. It's so helpful. It makes you think about living. Let me tell you tonight, it does not mean salvation. It does not mean whether or not you're a Christian and you're going to make it there. Because everybody's going to see God when they die. Revelations chapter 1 verse 7 says, Look, talking about Jesus, He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and all the peoples on the earth will mourn because of Him. What does that mean? That means that you have to think carefully about where you are with God because you're going to meet Him face to face. Friends, the greatest revelation of your life is you're going to see God. Are you ready? Because when that day comes, if you are not, it will be eternal regret. That's what it means by not mourning. The second beatitude hasn't come into your life. You haven't realized you need God because you're so full of confidence in yourself. Can I say tonight, you're going to see God. doesn't matter if you're Christian or not. The difference is, are you ready? Are you ready in Jesus? Are you in Him? Are you born again? Is this thing of being persuaded in your heart I'm talking about in you? Are you saved? That's the thing, because we're all going to see God. So what does it mean? Why would Jesus say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, if we're all going to see God? Can I say to you tonight, what you have seen or know about God, it is a minuscule of who He is. This God, in all of his fullness, is saying, I want to come and I want to show you myself to you personally. This is not for Peter. It's not for Paul. It's for the loneliest Christian. It's the person who can be youngest here. This little girl in your arms on the lap. She might know Jesus. And I tell you, God might be showing up in her life. It can be for the oldest person who thinks I've only got a few days left. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are. As long as you are a Christian, my friend, you qualify to see God. And let me tell you, you haven't started to see what he's really like. Can I show you how he showed up in men and women in the scriptures? We had a heart after him. Can I do that tonight? It might be, as you set your heart on the Lord, you'll experience angelic visitations like Joshua did. You might hear an audible voice like Samuel in God's temple. You might witness miraculous answers to prayer when God shows up and he shows the world through miraculous healing, through audible voice, through these angelic visitations. You start to get a sense of God. You start to see him even now in this life. He's powerful. He's awesome. He's majestic. And he comes to you. It might be that he steps into your situation of desperate need like Daniel in the lion's den. It might be that he speaks to you so powerfully from his word, like those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, that their hearts burned within them because Christ showed them himself in the word. They could see Jesus as clearly as he was actually better than being next to them. How is this? It could be being filled with the Spirit and walking in the weight of the glory of God 
Acts chapter 2 and 4. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, or heart has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. A.W. Tozer put it like this. He says, you can have as much of God as you want. The office here, you can see God. But the question is, how far are you willing to go for it? Because remember he says, if you seek me, you'll find me. When you seek me with all your heart. You see, That's the best I can do tonight. <laughs> because you know what I've realized? Is God shows himself in ways totally different from one person to the next. The question is, do you want it? Do you want to see God? Do you want to know him? In the power of his resurrection, like Paul said, the same power that raised Christ from the dead can come to you. Do you want to see him in his glory that when he shows up like Moses, when Moses show me your glory, God says, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a rock because if I show you my fullness, I'll kill you. Moses got to see God even before he died. I tell you tonight, church, I want to see God. And I don't want to wait till the day when I stand before him. I want what's on offer now. Can I tell you my desire as one of your elders? He said that would be the same desire in your life. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. He's prepared stuff for you to see, just for you. It will be so precious. He'll come just for you. It will be just tailor-made for you. No one else will get to enjoy it. It will be something that you will treasure for the rest of your life. He'll come to you. But He asks, will you love Him? Will you love him with all your heart? Let's pray. Lord, might there be someone in this room tonight that takes us seriously. Lord, I pray tonight that you would persuade in our hearts as a church that you're on offer. That, Lord, this is not a joke. This is not a lie. It's not a, a cheap deal. This is the God of heaven saying, Sterling, I want to show you who I am, but I want your heart. God, I pray, might you raise up in this congregation the men and women of faith that shaped the earth because they wanted to see God. I pray, Lord, you'd raise up men and women who are sold out because of what's on offer 
one thing I have asked of you, that I will seek. Oh Lord, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze, that's it, to see you Lord, to gaze upon your beauty. To inquire of you in your temple. To taste and see that the Lord is good. Pray for that in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you.